Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive, anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And also by Liquidware, creators of FlexApp, the most feature-rich application learning product on the market today. And as announced last week, now proudly sponsored by PolicyPack. PolicyPack software allows you to use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java and browsers, and also mitigate ransomware and more. And if you're going to be in Ireland next Thursday, which will be September 19th, you can register for the upcoming Irish Citrix user group. And I'll be there doing some technical demos of Policy Pack. If you'd like to register, I'll include a link with this episode, which is episode 89 on 5bytespodcast.com. You'll find it under reference links, or you'll find the reference link included in the description on the podcast platform of choice. And now some news. As has been the case for some time, Microsoft have been blocking updates on certain systems to protect against potential issues. You may recall, for example, that they prevented patches installing on Windows 10 PCs running certain antivirus programs in the past. A few weeks ago, I reported that patches were being blocked on Windows 10 devices using MIT Kerberos Realms that caused some of the devices to fail to start up and caused some of them to enter a restart loop after the installation of a recent cumulative update. Also, there was a patch which could cause Windows 10 to crash or not operate properly on devices using older Intel rapid storage technology drivers. Well, the good news is, for those who may have noticed that patches were not installing because they were blocked, these blockers have now been removed. Patching is now possible for those who fit that mold. The two issues were resolved in KB4512941, and the safeguard hold has been removed. You should be aware that it could take up to 48 hours before you can update on both Windows 10 or the Windows Server version 1903 with this patch. So if you don't see it quite yet, it will be there soon. There have been reports of issues installing KB4515384 on some Windows 10 Enterprise 64-bit machines with an error 0x800F0922. Thanks to Susan Bradley for sharing this info. The answer on the TechNet form when somebody posted about the issue was to run a Microsoft Fix-It, but I'm sure there will be more info to come soon if the issue becomes more widespread. It appears it's not failing on all Windows 10 64-bit machines, just some. So it'll also be interesting to see what is unique to those machines that it fails on. For some time, Mozilla has been working on a DOE protocol, cool name, which is DNS over HTTPS. Their hope is that this DOE protocol will provide greater protections by using encrypted DNS traffic. They've stated that over 70,000 users of the Firefox release editions have chosen to optionally enable the protocol, which has allowed them to monitor its use and effectively fix issues as they arise. 
With the work put in by Mozilla since 2017 and the stability of the product for that large sample of users I just mentioned, Mozilla have announced their intention to enable the protocol by default, beginning with users based in the United States. Mozilla also shared some of their key learnings from the experiment thus far. They found that OpenDNS parental controls and Google's safe search feature were rarely configured by Firefox users in the US. In total, 4.3% of users in the study used OpenDNS parental controls or SafeSearch. Surprisingly, there was little overlap between use, users of SafeSearch and OpenDNS parental controls. And as a result, Mozilla are reaching out to parental control operators to find out more about why this might be happening. They also found that 9.2% of users triggered one of Mozilla's split horizon heuristics. The heuristics were triggered in two solutions. The heuristics were triggered in two situations, when websites were accessed whose domain had non-public suffixes and when domain lookups returned both public and private IP addresses. There was also little overlap between users of their split horizon heuristics, with only 1% of clients triggering both heuristics. Their plan is to Continue to respect user choice for opt-in parental controls and disable DOE if they detect them. Respect enterprise configuration and disable DOE unless explicitly enabled by enterprise configuration. And also fall back to operating system defaults for DNS when split horizon configuration or other DNS issues cause lookup failures. They are planning to deploy DOE in a fallback mode. That is, if domain name lookups using DOE fail or if their heuristics are triggered, Firefox will fall back and use the default operating system DNS. This means that for the minority of users whose DNS lookups might fail because of split horizon configuration, Firefox will attempt to find the correct address through the operating system DNS. This sounds like it has a lot of potential. It could be pretty cool. I'm excited to try it out. Citrix have launched a preview support for Okta IDP in Citrix Workspace. This is pretty cool. Okta have a really nice user-friendly and convenient multi-factor authentication solution. It's also interesting that some smaller organizations who don't use Citrix at all leverage Okta for providing access to SaaS applications with single sign-on capabilities. So this could possibly bring what's great about Okta and what people already love to a more complete user experience for not just cloud apps, but all apps, desktops, files, etc. Citrix Zen App and Zen Desktop version 7.6 CU8 has now been released. Rather than drone on about the details of this release, I would use this time to advise anyone who's still on 7.6 to consider upgrading 7.15, which is the new LTSR platform. For local host cache mode alone, in my opinion, it's worth it. There was a pretty big surprise for me this week. Microsoft announced extended support for some of the MDOP products, including Advanced Group Policy Management version 4 SP3, which will be supported until April 14th, 2026, MBAM 2.5 SP1, again supported until April 14th, 2026, and the date remains the same for the next few that I'm going to mention. Dart version 10, UEV, and a product that I've worked with for a lot of my career, AbbVie, AbbVie 5, SP3, and AbbVie 5.1.
will now be supported until April 14th, 2026. Uh, not continuing to not be extended or not be supported is MedV, but that's for obvious reasons. If Microsoft could maybe throw us a bone and roll up or release a service pack that contains all the hotfixes for the MDOP version of AbV, that would be pretty cool. A few months ago, I reported on the upcoming return of the Power Toys utilities that were present back in Windows 95. Good news, the preview is now available for download. For those who did not hear episode 72 that featured the story on Power Toys, it has been reported that the first of the two utilities Microsoft is working on is MTND, or the Maximize to New Desktop widget. MTND shows a pop-up button when the user hovers over the Maximize and Restore button on a window. Clicking it creates a new desktop, sends the app to that desktop, and maximizes the app on that new desktop. The second feature scheduled is a Windows key shortcut guide which appears when a user holds the Windows key down for more than one second. It shows shortcuts available for the current state of that desktop. Other utilities could include full window manager including specific layouts for docking and undocking laptops, keyboard shortcut manager, Win plus R replacement, better alt tab better alt-tab functionality, including browser tab integration and search for running apps, battery tracker, batch file renamer, quick resolution swaps in the taskbar, and mouse events without focus, plus there's likely to be more in the future. Blocksandfiles.com covered the announcement this week from Cisco on MDS 9000 storage network director support for the coming 64-bits fiber channel interface and NVMe fiber channel. They will add 64 gig fiber channel line card support to the 9700s as a non-disruptive hardware upgrade along with the software upgrade and the products will then support 16, 32 and 64 gig fiber channel simultaneously. Cisco will also add SAN provisioning automation modules for Ansible with vSAN, device alias and zoning configuration automation facilities. This week at the Nginx conference, F5 announced several new solutions designed to help DevOps, NetOps, and SecOps teams better collaborate in delivering modern applications. Also showcased by Nginx during this conference, they showcased upcoming HTTP3 capabilities in Nginx open source, enhanced proxying and network capabilities in the Nginx unit application server, uh, new product versions in the Nginx application platform, improved security and observability capabilities in Nginx Plus, better analytics and configuration management in Nginx load balancing module, added custom resource definitions in Nginx Kubernetes Ingress controller, and much more. Applications are now open for the Citrix CTP and CTA programs. If you think you've got what it takes to join the program, please do apply. If you know anyone you think of who might be a good candidate, why not talk to them and convince them to join? They should be recognized for their efforts. As a two-year CTP, I have to say I really enjoy the program. There's a really great group of CTPs and they're excellent to collaborate with and it's a very supportive community. I was also a CTA for a couple years too and that's an awesome program as well and I actually made a lot of friends so I met like some of the CTPs through conferences in the past, but a lot of the CTAs I'd never met before. 
and I got to meet them through the CTA program and have become friends and got to know them and have bounced ideas off a lot of them too. And from what's happened in the last couple of years, it seems like the CTP class each year seems to get a little bit replenished with some of the current CTAs. So if you're a little daunted by going to CTP straight away, it does seem like going for the CTA first does help your chances for becoming a CTP later. I don't think there's anything formal that says you have to be a CTA first, but that's just a trend that I've been noticing. And the final somewhat Citrix related story, I promise, but Carl Webster has updated his great Citrix PBS 7.x documentation script with a couple of fixes. So if you rely on that documentation script for what you do, check out the newest release. A community exploit module for Bluekeep has been released and several other security experts have released their own works off the back of it. So basically an exploit that already had multiple working samples out in public now have many more. If you still haven't patched against this nasty RDP vulnerability, you better do it now. Fastcompany.com published an article on Magic Leap's augmented reality product in healthcare. About nine months ago or so, I covered the HIMSS conference, the healthcare conference, uh, which featured Magic Leap being used to practice surgery on like these rubber mannequins or, or dummies. The article dives into Magic Leap's potential and also some examples of how HoloLens is being used in healthcare, including for simulating childbirth, which I didn't know before reading the article. The article explains that Magic Leap is working with the Dan Marino Foundation to train young adults with autism on how to interview for jobs with a simulation that makes it feel like the person is actually in an interview. And at Stanford's Lucille Packard's Children's Hospital, teachers are already using the Magic Leap platform to simulate medical training. The company is also developing digital humans, avatars that look and behave just like us. One day, these characters could be built into the platform to serve as educators or even medical cadavers. Magic Leap is a really impressive company doing like this mind-blowing technology. So if they haven't been on your radar yet, you should really check them out. Also, follow Chris Matthews on Twitter. He's a really good follow because he's, he's sharing a lot of his enthusiasm around augmented reality. And you could check out the Frontline Chatter podcast where... Jerry and Gibson and I interviewed him. It's pretty mind-blowing stuff. Device Trust launched support for Windows Virtual Desktop. If you're not familiar with it, it's a pretty simple but effective tool that you can use to set criteria for access to your desktop. Um, the criteria could include like firewall must be enabled, antivirus must be running, and some other security endpoint related conditions. So this is like conditional access. If those conditions are not met, the user will not be permitted to run the virtual desktop from their machine. I'd really like to try this out as it's only group policy based, so it'd be really simple to integrate into my Windows Virtual Desktop lab. And it doesn't look as cumbersome or invasive as MDM products. If I get my hands on it, expect a blog post in the future. The Microsoft To-Do app Got a little feature update. They put in a nice little rich bar at the bottom that allows you to quickly create new tasks and reminders for yourself rather than having to click through and add the tasks. 
It's a lot quicker. And now for the weekly webinar. Jeremy Moskowitz will be presenting a webinar with the CUGC titled Windows 10 and Active Directory Security Best Practices for Preventing Ransomware in Citrix Environments. The webinar will be held on Thursday, September 12th from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern. So if you're listening to this episode of the podcast as it publishes, that's going to be pretty soon. That's going to be in a few hours. During this webinar, you'll learn what you can do right now to help prevent malware attacks using the in-the-box Windows features themselves. Plus, you'll learn how Citrix administrators and engineers around the world use PolicyPack to protect their virtual networks from ransomware attacks. In the webinar, they'll cover delegating permissions over group policy usage, default GPOs and fine-grained password policy, AppLocker, DeviceGuard, and PolicyPack Least Privilege Manager, LAPS, which of course is local admin password solution, application and browser security using PolicyPack, and some more. I'll share a link for the registration for that webinar uh, with this episode, which is episode 89 again, on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. And now this week's scripts, tricks, and tips. So you know how pretty much everyone owns FSLogix now, thanks to Microsoft acquiring it, and thanks to them kind of opening up the licensing to most enterprise customers? Well, how many of us run Visio and Project with limited licensing? It's not provided to everyone in the company. And how many of us struggle with the way to deploy those only to those who are licensed? Most people, I'd imagine. Jim Moyle posted a great video on how to use advanced FSLogix app masking to solve this problem. The Office products are quite large and can be difficult to capture for the sake of FSLogix rules, but Jim provides his scripts and some samples to make it easy. Thanks, Jim. And another cool script to check out this week, Bronson Magnan shared a pretty clever little tool that he created. Basically, it's one admin portal to rule them all. You can aggregate all of your web-based tools by department, region, or just lump them all together in a single portal for easy access. If you have a bunch of like SQL reporting services, web portals, and web-based admin consoles and rely on your bookmarks for browsing to them, this could be a great solution for you. Just have that one site that has icons that branches off to all of them. And that's it for another week of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.